Hey, my name is Pastor Rick. I'm the executive pastor for all the new people. And uh, like he said, we've been in this series uh, called Elephant in the Room. And the first weekend, we talked about the war on sexuality, uh, which was an incredible uh, unveiling of what's going on in our time and age in regards to sexuality. Uh, We then talked about the war on uh, this nation's leadership and all about God and government and what is our part to play as Christians in the political role. Uh, Last week, we talked about the war on why, all about, you know, why does God allow these things uh, to happen in our society? And uh, this week, I want to talk to you about the war on families. Can I do that today, this morning? Talked about the war on families. Uh, But I want to preface today uh, by saying that there may be some things you're going to hear today that's going to poke you, but I want it to poke you. I want it to challenge you. I want it to do something on the inside of your heart, and I want you to allow, allow yourself to be challenged by the truth of God's word, to be challenged by some of these truths that you may have not have been taught growing up, uh, that you may have been uh, abused growing up in those type of things, but I, I'm here to declare today that it's the truth of God's word that is going to set you free. It is his truth that will set you free and nothing else. Um, And uh, I want to start out today by reading the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, as I was praying for you guys this past week, uh, I heard God say, I'm bringing divine order back to my families. I'm bringing divine order. Right now, it's complete chaos in regards to families all across our land. But he's bringing divine order. And so verse 12 of chapter 6 in Ephesians says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Very important for you to keep that in front of you today as we have our talk. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, That is who we face. That is what we are wrestling. We're going to pull the curtain back again today. We're going to uncover some things. We're going to shine a spiritual light on what is going on behind the scenes in regards to family. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Holy Spirit, this is your platform. Lord, this is your platform. God, I'm your servant. Lord, would you use me? Would you speak through me? Lord, prepare our hearts today. Prepare our minds. Prepare our ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, on September 4th of 2014, Time Magazine published an article that was titled, There is No Longer Any Such Thing as the Typical Family. And the article went on to suggest that the era of the nuclear family was dead until the point of no return. Uh, But what struck me most interesting about this article was what they attempted to uh, answer as to what was replacing the typical family. And their, their answer was a whole grab bag of family arrangements. In other words, an assortment of miscellaneous things, miscellaneous items, that is what's replacing the, the modern family. You see, the nuclear family has been declining uh, in prevalence ever since the late 20th century and has been decreasing from all kinds of different things, such as uh, increased divorce rates, single-parent households, same-sex marriages, the rise of the number of women in the workforce, uh, blended families, remarried couples, and cohabiting families that are just kind of cohabiting together. Uh, The article, I believe, is half right. I believe that with the changing of the times, right, comes the changing of different things of how normal family might look and how it is structured. But I will always argue this point, that nothing can ever change or replace the God-given design for family. 
Nothing can ever replace that. There is one man, one woman, and a child. That is God's design for family. It is not one man and one man. It is not one woman and one woman. It is not one transgender and one transgender. It is one man, one woman, and one child, or maybe multiple child if you live in this church, okay? That is, that is the God design for family, okay? That is his design for family, And see, you don't even need to turn the news on anymore to understand that families are under attack in our land, that there are spiritual forces that are at play behind the scenes that are wreaking havoc. And Satan, who is the adversary, he's on a mission to destroy and distort God's creation and his design for family. That's his purpose. And I believe he's using some key strategies uh, to wage this war uh, all across this land. And the first strategy is this. It's divorce. You see, the divorce rate over the past 10 years has skyrocketed in the U.S. It is at 45% right now. That means almost half, that, that means almost half the people who get married, guess what? Get divorced in America. In Christian circles alone, families who attend church regularly have a 38% divorce rate. Let that sink in. You may say, well, that's actually pretty good. No, it's not good. Even 1% amongst Christians is wrong. It's wrong. God hates divorce. You see, Colorado has the 15th highest divorce rate in our country. The average length of a marriage in Colorado is seven years. Congratulations, those who have made it to eight years. Children that come from divorced homes are more likely to have a poor performance in academics, loss of interest in social activity, difficulty accepting change, emotionally sensitive, their anger and irritability problems, they have feelings of guilt, destructive behavior, increased health problems, loss of faith, and a loss of faith in marriage and the family unit. I came from a divorced home. My parents divorced when I was seven. And I can honestly tell you that every single thing I just listed off right now, I have battled with or struggled with at some point in time in my life. God hates divorce and the enemy is using it to separate the family. The second one is fatherlessness. You see, fatherlessness right now in America is at an all-time high. Listen to this. 18.3 million children who uh, in the United States are currently living without a father in the home. You know what that amounts to? That's one in four U.S. children. One in four U.S. children are growing up without a father figure in a home. About 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers. Uh, Children from single-parent families are twice as likely to suffer from mental health or behavioral problems. 70% of our youth that are in a state-operated facility has come from a single-parent home. Fatherlessness is wreaking havoc on the families in our nation. The next one is substance abuse. Substance abuse has been tearing up families ever since the 60s and the 70s. And in 21, there was 61.2 million people in the United States that had a substance abuse problem. That's 21% of our population had a substance abuse problem in our land. And if I'm vulnerable with you guys for a moment, this wasn't in my, in my talk. Uh, I got a call on Friday that I didn't want to get. And I got a call from my mom who said my stepmom actually passed away last week and she died from an overdose. It was a heroin overdose. And it was very sad, and it still is very sad. And it's one of those things that you don't wish or you don't want to happen, but it was one of those things that we all kind of expected to happen. Can I just say that substance abuse is wreaking havoc on our nation. It is wreaking havoc on our families. And if you struggle with substance abuse in this room, I'm standing on this platform to tell you today that there is hope. I am 17 years sober, okay? 
17 years of sobriety from drugs and alcohol. And if you're struggling with that today, I'm telling you there's freedom in the name of Jesus that he can set you free. He can set you free from that mindset. He can set you free from that addiction. Listen to this. 29.5 million of those people of the 61 million were classified as having an alcohol use disorder. Yes, alcohol is a substance. 24 million people were classified as having a drug use disorder. Listen to this. A parent struggling with, uh, with this is three times more likely to physically and sexually abuse their child. Substance abuse is wreaking havoc on our families. The next one is abortion. The abortion rate for the past 50 years has become astronomical. According to the study by the World Health Order last year, 73 million induced abortions took place worldwide. Let that sit in your spirit. 73 million Children were murdered in the womb. Let's call it what it is. It is not abortion. It is murder worldwide. As the body of Christ, we cannot continue to allow this thing to happen in our land. Abortion is wrong by all means. We stand on the truth. Listen to this. Six out of ten of all unintended pregnancies end in abortion. Three out of ten of all intended pregnancies and an induced abortion you guys this is a terror in our land in Colorado alone last year 14,154 abortions were done the most the state has seen since 1985 we have a governor in our land who has opened up our doors to abortion on demand and it is not okay and until we have the voice to stand up and rise up, it is going to continue to go on in our land. How come abortion, how come those who are for abortion can rally thousands and thousands of people down on the capital state, uh, down, on, down on the stairs, but Christians can't even amass, a, uh, you know, 500 people to go down? Our voice needs to be louder than the voice of the opposition. It has to be. Because it's the loudest voice that is being heard right now in, in our state senate. It is the loudest voice. And guess what? It's the voice of the opposition. It's time to get loud. It's time for us to stand up. The next one is transgenderism. Transgenderism in our youth has nearly doubled in the, recent, in, the, in, in the past recent years. We have a generation of young boys growing up to become women and a generation of young women growing up to become men. A clinical term called gender dysphoria, which is a term that describes a sense of unease that a person may have because of a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity. I don't call it gender dysphoria. I call it a demonic spirit of confusion. Let's call it what it is. Can we start to call it what it is? It is, not a it is not gender dysphoria. It is a demonic spirit. Mental health crisis in this land is very real. And unfortunately, the demonic realm has taken a hold of this thing, has instituted it in society, and now we have scientific, cl scientific uh, clinical terms for these things to just dismiss the spiritual aspect of what's going on underneath the covers. There is a demonic spirit at work in transgenderism. You can see it in people's eyes. You can see it all over them. And unfortunately, it is outworked very largely right now in our land. Listen to this. By the age of two and three, a child starts to develop a sense of biological gender. Uh, by the age of four, they understand the different parts that make them a boy or a girl. But by the age of six and seven, listen to this, it is the outer appearance of boys and girls that help them develop a sense of awareness of the different uh, genders around them. 
And how dare we as adults allow this spirit of confusion to come upon our children? How dare we dress our boys like girls and girls like boys so we can even confuse them more when they get to this age range? How dare we as adults allow this to continue to happen in our schools, in the world going on around us? It is child abuse for you to allow your child to pick their own gender. Call it what it is. It is child abuse. Your child is not allowed to pick their own gender because you as the parent instill identity into them. And God forbid those parents that have been telling their son or daughter that they're a boy or a girl, the opposite sex of which they truly are. It is our responsibility to say, no, 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 you, may, you, you might feel like a girl, but guess what? You're a boy and we're gonna continue to treat you like a boy and we're gonna continue to raise you up like that. And we're gonna pray over you. We're gonna cast out the demonic and we're gonna do those things that godly parents will do for their child. You know, in my household, my son's not allowed to dress in his mama's clothes. You say, well, what's the harm of that? They're just having fun. No, he's not allowed to play dress up in his mama's clothes. My daughters were never allowed to play dress up in my clothes. My daughters are not allowed to color my son's uh, fingernails, and they're not allowed to, to, to put bows and ties in his hairs and dress him up like a girl. You say, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor Rick? Isn't that just a little, you know, little kids playing makeup? No, it's not. They're planting seeds on the inside of him that one day, if the, if, if the right spirit comes around him or her, is going to pop that seed up and it's going to become something in their lives. You got to pull back the covers and you got to shine a light on what's really going on behind the scenes. The next one is busyness. Busyness of the home is another doorway at which the enemy creeps in. It's kind of a Trojan horse, if you will. It's different than the last ones I just read because uh, the heart behind it is good, right? We want to be busy. Uh, it, it could be good for our family, right? But, but as the age-old saying goes, if Satan can't make you sin, guess what? He's going to make you busy. He's going to make you busy. And if he can keep you occupied through the busyness of life, through the busyness of work, of social media, of computer games, of television, of your career, of your schooling, even ministry, and even sports, then he can keep you away from what really matters most, which is the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. And can I just address sports families in here for a moment? Okay, I love sports families. I love you guys. I love the dedication you have. I love the commitment you have. Uh, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. We watch sports in our home. But for some of us, the, the, the idol of sports has become an issue in our life, that we've, uh, we've elevated the idol of sports above God. And I want to encourage you today, and, and I just want to inspire you. Again, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. There's no condemnation in you to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if I can just inspire you to look beyond sports for a moment? Can you look beyond sports? And I want you to ask yourself this question, what foundation would I rather lay in my child's life? What foundation? Do I want an eternal one that will last beyond sports? Or do I want one that's only going to last as long as my child is in sports? In my household, this is as for me in my house, uh, if, if, if my kids are playing sports and they have anything to do on a Sunday, we don't do it. If it interferes with the house of God, guess what? I'm sorry, we're not going to come. We're not going to practice. We're not going to go to any games. This is me in my house. I would rather my children be found in the house of God than on a sports field, okay? Again, this is just me in my house. 
I want to lay that foundation in their life. I want them to grow up to love the church. I want them to grow up to not think that the church is just an option on a weekend if I have a game or if I have something else going on, that the church has to be something in their life that is steadfast and sure. And my children love coming to church. Man, sometimes they come with me in the mornings and they're here for eight, nine hours. But man, you know what? They say, we don't care, daddy. We just want to be here. And now my daughters are serving in the kids department. My son just loves being in there. He loves everybody. I want my kids to have that. So if I can just inspire the sports families in here for a moment. I love you guys. Can I just say that there's a war on families? That there's a war on the God-designed family, the way he intended it? That the enemy's plan is to tear it apart. His plan is to distort it. His plan is to, the, to, to, to rip it to shreds to the point that it no longer looks like the family that he created it to be. And I know there are casualties of this war in this room, that there's casualties of this war sitting in every single one of these seats. I am a casualty of this war standing on this platform, but I'm here to declare to you that Jesus was greater in my life and he drew me out of that pit. He took me from a casualty to somebody who was victorious and he stood my feet upon the solid rock. So there is hope for you in this room if you fall into one of these categories that I just talked about. There's hope and his name is Jesus Christ. So as Christians, you and I need to not be ignorant of the enemy's devices, but we need to wage war against him. In 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, it says to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking somebody to devour. You best believe that. But look at verse 9. Resist him. Resist him. Resist him firm in your faith. You and I have an obligation to resist the enemy, to resist the wiles of the enemy, to stand firm in our faith. In order for me to stand firm in my, in my faith, I need to know what I believe. I need to know what the Bible says about what I believe. And so we need to be men and women of the word in order for us to stand firm in our faith. And so how did we get here? Is this good, you guys? See, I need a little help preaching this morning, okay? I know this is hitting home. I know this may feel like an uppercut, but man, I want you to get uppercut and then I want you to say, that was a good punch, Pastor Rick, okay? I needed that. I needed that gut check, okay? So now I think in order to understand our current state of our modern families, we need to go back to where it all started, to when it all fell apart. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this. It says, for God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created him. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then in verse 20, in verse, uh, in chapter two, verse 24, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and leave his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Okay. This is the God designed family coming together. The two, one man, one woman shall become one flesh. Two men cannot become one flesh. Two women cannot become one flesh. I don't care what priest has married you or what pastor has did that. You cannot become one flesh. It is outside of the design of the God-given family. It will not be blessed. I'm telling you, it will not be blessed. And if I can just address blended families in here for a moment, I love blended families. I came from a blended family when my mom and dad divorced at the age of seven. Uh, you know, my dad remarried and, and my mom never remarried, but she had, you know, she had boyfriends and stuff. Uh, and so what I want to say to blended families is this. 
is you cannot allow um, your marriage to be segregated. And what I mean by that is it's not how you raise your kid and it's not how they raise their kid. You have to come together and you have to say, how are we gonna raise our kids, right? We need to unpack this bag and say, well, this is how I raise my kid and this is how you raise your kid. Let's come together and let's figure out how we're gonna raise our kids together. Okay, there has to be unity in your blended family, right? One man, one woman coming together to make one flesh. Yes, you may be divorced, you may be widowed, but now that you're remarried, guess what? You are one flesh again with the person you are with. Okay, and so you need to unpack those bags. It's not how you used to raise your kid with your ex. It is how am I going to raise my kid now with my new spouse? Okay, it's very, very important. One flesh. And I want to address uh, interracial families in here as well. We have a lot of interracial couples in this church. I love interracial couples. I had a vision during worship uh, for you guys. And I seen I seen you guys standing back to back like this. And let me just say this, that there is racism in our land still, right? We don't, I don't experience it very much, but guess what? As a pastor, I hear all about it, and I know that it exists. And so as an interracial couple, guess what? You have kind of a double-edged sword because you have society that is looking down upon you, and you also have family members that may not agree with the partner that you have selected. Can I just say you need to go from this to this? with each other. There has to be a unity between you and your, and your spouse, and you need to shut the noise out, if you know what I mean. You need to shut the noise out and just work on your relationship together with Jesus, and you need to worry about your family that is in front of you. Again, it's always, the racism's gonna be here, we know that, but it's time for us to shut the noise out and come together as families and come together, amen? And so we see that from the very beginning, God had a perfect order and design for families. Again, one man, one woman joined together to make one flesh. And then he said in verse 28, be fruitful and what? Multiply. In other words, go and procreate. Here comes the children into the equation. One family, one, one man, one woman, and child. Okay, if you're in our church, it's like one man, one woman, and like five childs, okay? Like, we're a very fruitful church in this, in this house, I'm telling you. We don't just have one, we're blessed, man. We have like three or four or five or six or seven. Some, some of you have eight children, I can't believe it. But we're very fruitful. And so that is the family unit, right? That is the very design God created families to be. And in fact, it has his stamp of approval with his triune nature. Okay, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Guess what? We have husband, wife, and child. Okay, it's the triune nature. God's stamp is on families. This is why the enemy hates families so much. This is why he wants to tear it apart because it has God's very own nature imprinted and designed on it. And in Genesis 3 is where we see it all fall apart. The devil, you know the story, came in the form of a serpent and told Eve, did God really say you should not eat? So then he tricks her into eating this fruit that God told her not to eat. And in Genesis 3, 6, we pick it up. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, notice, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. I, I hear people arguing that Adam wasn't there, but the scriptures say he was with her right now through this whole thing. And so he was there during this entire exchange, but what the devil knew is that if he couldn't get 
he couldn't get Adam to, to do that by him. Or, uh, he couldn't get Adam to do that. So he had to bypass Adam. In other words, he bypassed the authority God set up in the family role. He went straight to Eve. And what did Adam do? He forfeited his authority in that moment. He forfeited it. He gave it up. He took his covering off of his wife. He did not speak up when he should have. He did not stand in the gap between her and the, and the enemy. And all of humanity was doomed because of it. And through the rest of the scriptures, in the very next chapter, chapter four, we see how Abel, uh, or Abel got slew. Wait, I get him back mixed up. Cain killed Abel, yes. I always get them flip-flopped. We see Cain killing his brother. In the very next chapter, murder has just entered into the scene. In chapter 6, you see Nephilim, which were fallen angels, came and slept with the children of men, which is, you know, the women, and they created the extraterrestrial beings known as giants here on the land. And from scripture to scripture and chapter to chapter, you'll see just how messed up families got from this one point in the scripture. And his role, the enemy's role, and his number one goal is to dismantle families. It's to kill relationships. It's to wipe away and steal the identities and any semblance of God here on this earth. That's why the attack is so prevalent. And so where has this breakdown in families been in our modern times? And how do we get back to this divine order? Well, I believe the breakdown started in the 1950s and the 1960s. And it started with some innocent scriptures, and it started with an innocent graphic. So this scripture in 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Yes, I just said the S word on this platform. For the husband is head of the wife. Man, don't be doing this. It's coming. Even as the wife... Uh, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself and its Savior. Go ahead and show the graphic, Brexton. Not that one. The umbrella. That's coming later. <laughs> umbrella graphic. So this graphic, some of you may look at this and it doesn't mean anything to you. You understand the biblical order of family. Maybe you grew up in a, in a home that was fruitful and had a loving husband, you know, who, who, who was submitted to Lord and the wife and all these other things. But for some of you, when I put this graphic up, it causes something to stir up on the inside of you. It makes you feel uneasy. It makes you feel kind of like, uh, I, I don't like that. It, it brings up hurt. It brings up pain. It might bring up abuse. If you watch the, uh, is it Netflix or Amazon? Amazon Prime series on the Duggards, right? That cult used this to suppress women, used this to, 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 were they marrying young children? I didn't see it. No, okay, that's the other, the other cult. Uh, so this graphic, I'm telling you, uh, has been used, but there's nothing wrong with the intent or heart behind this graphic. Uh, but just like everything God meant for good, guess what, the enemy distorts and he makes for evil. And unfortunately, these scriptures I just read to you and this graphic has been the cause of so much pain, so much anxiety, so much di divorce, so much abuse, and so much neglect in the family relationships. Let me just tell you what this graphic is not saying, and I want to speak to the men in this room. Let me tell you what this scripture is not saying. Men, this graphic or these scriptures does not give you a license of dictatorship where you use your authority to have absolute power and complete control over your home and those who are in it. 
Let me say that again. Men, this does not give you a license to have a dictatorship and absolute authority and power over your home where you control everybody and those who are in it. It is not a license for you to verbally, physically, mentally, spiritually abuse your children and your wives. In fact, it's quite saying the opposite. Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or exasperate your children, Colossians 3.21, with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor, nor by favoritism or indifference. Treat them tenderly with loving kindness so they will not lose heart or become discouraged or unmotivated with their spirits broken. This is not a get out of jail free card, men, for you to lay back and not engage in the raising of your children and the involvement of your lives. I cannot find a scripture that says it's the woman's job to raise the children. I don't know about you, but I've looked. I cannot find it. In fact, I find quite the opposite, that it's the father's job to instill identity. It's the father's job to speak well over their children. It's the father's job to teach them the scriptures. It's the father's job to to be there in their lives. Men, we have a lot of work to do to get back to the God-designed order from which he designed it. You see, there's a lot of, this is a lot of the sexist oppression that we've seen in the 50s and 60s, and maybe you came from that era, which I believe gave rise to feminism in the 70s. You can go and study it because women were tired of feeling like less than. They were tired of feeling abused. They were tired of feeling oppressed and neglected by this neglect of power. Okay, now, Brexton, show that graphic. So this is an actual ad from the 1950s. The one on the left is from the 1950s, and it says it's nice to have a girl around the house. I want you to look at that and just let that do something on the inside of you. The one on the right is a modern-day rendition to what's going on in our land, that it's nice to have a boy around the house and it has a woman with her foot on the head of a man. Show the next one. Show her it's a man's world. Woman on her hands or on her knees, serving up some coffee and dinner or breakfast. This is a Thai commercial for a Thai. One on the right is a modern day rendition of what's going on now in our land. Look at how feminine the man looks. Go to the next one. Don't worry, darling, you didn't burn the beer. There's hundreds of these. You guys can go look online and just look at the oppression from the 50s. You may have lived through that. You may have seen that. And see, now because of this, I believe the, pendu the, pe the pendulum has swung so far the other way that women have now taken the role of the home, of leader in the home, to the point of even mentally castrating men where men have gone completely the opposite way, where we don't have a voice, we don't have a backbone, and we don't lead our home. Society publicly shames men and masculinity as toxic. TV shows that make fun of men and depict them as these dopey characters who are disengaged and not smart in life. Do you know that the suicide rate between men and women uh, is quadruple for men? That last year, out of the 10,000 women who committed suicide, 40,000 men committed suicide? What is that telling us about our society? This was just last year. You see men find their significance and purpose in the family unit as head, 
as leader, as protector and provider. And so when we're told by society that we don't matter, we don't need you, we don't want you, what is there left to do? What is there left to do? And see, I think the enemy, he's devised the perfect strategy for the war on families. It's the strategy to take the man out of the equation. Because he knows if he can get the man out as protector and provider and leader, guess what? He can get to the women. And the war on women that's going on right now is directly related to the man being taken out of the way. There is a war on women right now. And now that the woman is being taken out of the way, who does that, who, who's left there to be the children? This is why we have such an attack on our children right now because the roles in the family have gotten mixed up, they've gotten unskewed, they've gotten just, uh, you know, obliterated. Men are on the far left, women are on the far right, and we need to come back together to bring order back into the family homes. And so how do we get back? If I can get Joe out here, that'd be awesome. You see, I believe in order to get back to the order of his design, we need to understand and go back to our correct biblical roles in the family relationship that God has set up. Go ahead and put the family graphic up, Rexton. So this is one that the team made up this past week. It has a father wrapping his arms around the mother and the child. They're all happy. They got, you know, little rosy red cheeks. But notice how God is wrapped around them. You see, the wife doesn't need to go to her husband to get to Jesus. The kid doesn't need to go to mom to get to Jesus. They can all go to Jesus. You and your wife are co-laboring in this thing together. It's a co-laboring. Yes, there's order. Yes, God placed men at the head, but that doesn't mean it's a dictatorship. It just means that we, gotta, we, we have a greater responsibility in our homes as being the head. In this past week, I told you about my stepmom. Ten minutes later, while I was sitting there, after I got the call about my stepmom, my wife called me. She was crying. And she said, our daughter just got sexually assaulted at school. And I, I shut my laptop. And I went into the... Don't cry, you're making me cry. <laughs> I went to my living room and I started to war in the spirit. I turned the worship music on and I started to war. No, no, she will not hear the voice of a liar. No, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, and I, I was warring back and forth, back and forth, and I was going after, and then all, all of a sudden I heard the Holy Spirit say, go to the school. And so I got in my truck and I went straight to the school and I walked up to the door and they greeted me and they knew while I was there and they said, do you want us to call Satan? And I said, yes, I want to see her right now. And so she came up and she said, do you guys want to place this? I said, yes, put me in the private room, please. And we went into the private room and we sat down and I began to tell her the truth that that wasn't right that what he said was not right that's not how men treat women I said have you ever heard your daddy talk to your mom that way she said no and I said well use me as the example I'm the example of how a man treats a woman I prayed over I said Lord these lies that were spoken of her let them break off right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and we went after it right there in that office and she hugged me she said she loved me daddy and I got up and I left Men, we need to be there for our children. It is not the wife's responsibility to go to the school board meetings and, and talk to them about these transgender things that are going on in our school. 
It's not her responsibility to stand in the way of the enemy and their children. It is your responsibility as the loving husband. It is your responsibility as protector. It is your responsibility as provider. You got to get back into line. You need to get back into the top to where you belong. And you need to start to, to, to instill these godly morals and biblical principles in your home with loving kindness. I want to be the loudest voice in my children's ears. There's a thing called the law of first mention. When children grow up, if they hear it first from somewhere else, that's going to form a belief in their mind more so than the the belief over your own words. And so we talk to our kids about sex. We talk to them about transgenderism. We talk to them about homosexuality. We talk to them about all these things because I want them to hear it from me first and not the school board. It's not the teacher's job to teach them about sex. It is your job. And so I want to close with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 24. But I want to read it out of the Amplified Version. Because I think it sums up so beautifully what I'm trying to say. Wives, verse 22, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. The S word is not a bad word. There is beauty in submission. And if you go back to Ephesians 5, if you read verse 21, Paul just got done saying, submit one to another. There's a co-laboring happening here, but there's order in in the home. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their own husbands and everything. Listen to this, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as the head of the home. Men, we are gonna have to stand before Jesus one day and we're gonna have to answer to him of how we treated our wives and how we raised our children. Did we do it this way or did we do it with with the umbrella graphic way? Men, your role in your home is protector, is provider, it is leader. This is your covering. That is what it means to be the head of your home. It is nothing beyond that. He calls us to lay down our lives, to sacrifice our lives for our family. Pornography in the men in Christian circles is astronomical, you guys. It's like 70%. The next time you think about looking at that stuff on the internet, you need to ask yourself, am I protecting my wife? Am I protecting my kids? Or am I being a pervert? When you walk into a gym for the young men and even even grown men, you need to ask the question, am I here to protect or am I here to be a pervert? Eyes up. Eyes up. We have a responsibility as men to be godly men. This world is looking for godly men. This season and this hour that we are living in needs a godly man. We need godly men in our society. Men that have a backbone. Men that are not afraid to speak up when we need to speak up. Men that don't leave the hard stuff to our wives. Men that step in and say, put me in the game. I'm ready to go. This world needs a good man. And I see a lot of good men in this room. A lot of good men. You have what it takes. You have it on the inside of you. I believe in you. I believe in you. Women, submitting to your husband is allowing him to do those things. 
allow him to lead the home joyfully with respect and honor. One of our first fights that we got into three months into marriage was over a dish that I broke. <laughs> it was her grandmama's dish and I didn't know that, I'm sorry. But we broke out into a fight and you know, she said some hurtful things to me and I said some hurtful things back to her. Her aunt was there and she started to disrespect me in front of her aunt and I felt berated and I felt castrated and all those things. And so I left. I did what I, we do in our family. We just leave, we don't confront. And I left and she got scared. She thought I left for good and her aunt got scared and she left. And it was just this weird thing. But when we came back together, we had to unpack this baggage. Okay, well this is how my family did things. This is how my family did things. This is how I felt when you said that in front of your aunt. This is how I felt when you said that back to me. And so we had to unpack some stuff and we had to come together. Women, women, speak well of your husbands. Speak well of your husbands in front of other people. Speak well of him in front of your mom and in front of your dad. Speak well of him when you're out into the society. That is respect and that is honor. Don't gossip about him. That is publicly castrating him when you do that. And we were just at a thrift store the other day and I found the dish. I said, Lace, here's the dish. She goes, that's the dish. I said, do you want to buy it? She goes, no, I'm over it. I'm like, really? I call that, <laughs> you know, we found the dish, man. It was, it was so great. Verse 25, as I wrap this up, husbands, love your wives. Listen to this. Seek the highest good for her. Seek the highest good for your wife and surround her with caring, unselfish love. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, he sacrificed himself for the church. Verse 33, however, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own body, with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her, listen to this, with an attitude of loving kindness. Men, do you have an attitude of loving kindness towards your wife? That's your role as protector, as provider, and as leader of the home. And the wife, listen to this, must see to it. You must see to it that you respect and you delight in your husband, that you notice him, that you prefer him, and that you treat him with loving concern, that you treasure him, that you honor him, and that you hold him dear. This is the order of a beautiful biblical home where the husband and the wife honor one another, just like the Holy Spirit honors Jesus and Jesus honors the Father. There's this beautiful uh, uh, honoring thing that goes on in the, in the triune nature of a family. Ephesians 6, verse one, children, obey your parents. All the parents said amen. <laughs> obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father. Honor your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You say, Pastor Rick, how can I honor my father? He molested me. How can I honor my mother? She did that thing to me. He abused me, they beat me, they tortured me. The only answer I can give to that is through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He is the only one that can go into those caverns of your heart and can help to heal. He's the only one that can go down deep inside where that pain still hurts and resides and can set you free from that thing. And so what's our response? I've got to wrap this up. We're running out of time. I know there are people in this room. I know there's people in this room who've been raped and molested by your family members. I know some of you, husbands and wives, have committed adultery. If you've looked at a woman or man lustfully, you've committed adultery. I know there's people who have hated their parents for the way they were brought up. I know that there's prodigal sons and daughters who have not come home yet. I know there's parents who have felt like they have failed. I know there's men who have taken themselves out of the game. You're covered with shame. I know mistakes have been made. I know there's people living in regret. But I'm here to declare over all those truths that the blood of Jesus Christ sets you free today. It's his blood. And it's the power that is in his blood that is able to set you free from those. Those that, are, that have been divorced, I'm here to tell you his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Those single moms and single dads right now that are raising a child to, to doing, the, doing the responsibility of two, can I just tell you that it takes a tribe? Can I just encourage you to be found in the house of God, to surround yourself with godly people, to surround yourself with friends who are gonna help you raise those children so you're not left alone and you're not on an island. Get planted in the house. And I wanna say a prayer. Let's put our hands towards heaven. It might be a long one, so you might not wanna go way up here. You kind of do do the palm, the palm up, you know? I just want you to receive right now in this moment. Come on, I know I can see it on your faces. There's a lot of hurt going on right now. Lord Jesus, you know the hurt. God, you know the pain. You know those areas and those caverns of our heart that we haven't submitted or opened up to you yet. You know those dark moments in our life. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would encounter those areas right now in Jesus' name, that you would bring healing to those traumas, that you'd bring healing to those wounds, that you'd bring grace, mercy, help us to see the good, God. Men, I pray and break off shame right now in Jesus' name. Women, I break off shame right now in Jesus' name. Marriages, I declare, fully restored in Jesus' name. Household, I declare godly order right now in Jesus' name. Lord, would you give us the courage to go home and unpack our bags, both men and women in this room, to have those hard conversations, to come together unified with one voice and one spirit, one soul, and one body. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Well, the last call to action is if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to offer up a prayer for you. That Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again, so that you and I can have life and life abundantly. He's called us to repent. He's called us to turn towards faith in him. And if we confess with our mouth, him is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God rose him from the dead, the Bible says you shall be saved. Saved from what, Pastor Rick? Saved from eternal damnation and separation from God. Grafted into the heavenly family. And so if that's you and say, yes, Pastor Rick, I want to pray. Would you just put your hand up right now? All across this room. Thank you, young man. I see you back there. Anyone else? 
Anyone else? Those in the upper room? Those online? Well, young man, we're going to say this prayer together. But you're not praying to me. You're praying to God. And he already sees your heart. He's already seen the commitment in your heart. But we're going to pray a prayer together as your family, as a public declaration of what's going on on the inside of you. So repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. God, I heard your call to action today. I lay my life before you. I give it to you. Lord, come into me. Shape me. Change me. Transform me. I make you Lord of my life. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and empower me. Fill me with your presence right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, and everybody said, amen.